Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Amen. You can be seated. We are going to go into our time of teaching this morning. If you're new with us, um, what we do is we try to spend, you know, some 30 plus or minus minutes um, teaching, and then we, we open the floor. We have this little microphone here. And we try to let the body encourage the body. If you have a question, a comment, you know, some sort of uh, encouragement to the body, we'd love for you to do that. We'll go ahead and pass our baskets, though, um, if you don't mind. Um, hey, thanks, Jessica. If you're a guest with us, please put your little guest card in there or do the texting thing so that we know that you uh, made it out this morning. Um, we really want to uh, connect with you. But as we're passing those, hey, Jamie, as we're passing those, um, just to bring everybody up to speed very, very quickly, um, we, we have, uh, as Hart, uh, uh, Craig alluded to, and I just want to say, man, thank you, Hart, Craig, Piper, April, for all that you guys do, uh, Drew in the sound, Doug, um, man, you guys, Ricky, wherever he went to, and you guys just do a fantastic job week in and week out. It, does, it is not easy, you know, getting all this stuff set up and torn down, so I just say thank you. You guys are you guys are such a blessing and such an honor to, to serve with you guys every, every single week. But as Craig alluded to, we, um, we went through the book of Hebrews, and we've gone through the book of, of Galatians. We've gone through uh, a lot of the apostles' teachings, and we've learned, uh, we went through Colossians, we've learned that Christ Jesus lives in us, and we believe that, but we want to get to know Christ who lives in us. And so last August, we started looking at Jesus in his own words. What is, who is this Jesus? That lives in us. We want to get to know him. And so we've been embarking for some time on just the, the words of Jesus. What is he saying? What has he been doing? How did he teach? What, what, who is this guy? The last couple of weeks, we looked at some of the hard teachings of Jesus. Uh, teachings where he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Where he says, if your leg, your limb causes you to sin, cut it off. Like that, that, that doesn't give you warm, fuzzy feelings, you know, because I mean, what do you do with that? So we've looked at some of these passages to try to put into context what, who Jesus is talking to, what is he doing, what is he saying, and why do we not, you know, uh, walk around on, you know, crutches or maybe not even walk around because you run out of limbs after a certain part, after a certain point of sinning, right? And so what has he been talking about? Well, we're transitioning now into this, this segue. And today's, uh, what Jesus says is perfect segue leading up to the cross and the resurrection. Um, we're going to try from now, this is mid-February, March, and then April, the middle of April is Easter, so our, there's like some eight Sundays or so. We're going to try to, to pick out some very amazing passages of what Jesus is teaching leading up to the cross of his teaching about what the new covenant is going to be like. I can't wait till we get to John 17 when he's praying for you, you who believe in this message. He prays that you would be one with him just like Jesus is one with the Father. Like, how one is that? That's pretty one. And so we're going to get to that leading up to the cross to see how Jesus talks about the new covenant, what life in the new covenant is going to be like. And today's passage sets this amazing transition from um, life under the law, which is what the Jews were under at this time. The law was given by Moses, and it was in effect until Jesus came. After Jesus came, the, we, are, we, we have died to the law. The law has no jurisdiction, and now we are living, as the apostles teach us, under grace, not under law. And so this passage of Jesus today sets this amazing transition from what life is like under law to what life is now like in Christ. 
under grace. And so we're going to jump into it, but before we do, here's the great, you know, million-dollar question, if you will. What do we, hey, guys, getting so big, good grief, good to see you guys. Um, The million-dollar question is, okay, if we're not under law, the law, the Mosaic law, 613 uh, commandments, you know, like the Big Ten, you know, all the commandments, if we're not under these laws, if we don't have the law of Moses to govern our lives, to direct our lives, then in a question that came out last week, which is perfect, how do we live? How do we now live if we don't have a list of laws telling us how to live? Where do we find the guide to life if we don't have a list to guide us? You see, there's so much fallacy just in that thinking. We think that the law guides life. Well, the apostles in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Apostle Paul says that specifically the Ten Commandments, the written on stone, which is the Ten Commandments, is the ministry of what? Say it loudly. Death. That, that doesn't sound like life where I come from. He says it's also the ministry of condemnation, the Ten Commandments. That's strong words from the apostle. Well, either they're true or they're false. And so if we don't have the law, the Big Ten, the rest of them to tell us what to do or even to define what sin even is, then how do we know how to live? How do we know what to do? I've got this amazing woman that I live with. How do I know, apart from a list of 613 laws of telling me what to do and what not to do, how do I know how to live with her? It's a very important question. And that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to, it's going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Also, if you have an iPhone, uh, whatever, tablet, whatever, you can go to uh, the Bible app. Uh, it's an app called the Bible app. And you can click on um, more something and then live. And if you have internet, you can actually follow along in all of the notes here on the Bible app. It's really cool. So <clears throat> Jesus is um, setting this amazing transition to life under law to now life with him. And he says this amazing... He, uh, three verses. That's all we're going to look at today. He says, in, starting in verse 28, and this is very popular. This is very famous. We probably all have heard these three verses before, but I just want us to see them for the power that they really are and what Jesus is really getting at. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So you who are weary and heavy laden, you come to me, and here's my promise. I'm going to give you something, and what I'm going to give you is rest. In the context, this is written by the disciple named Matthew. Matthew wrote this, letter, this, this book we call Matthew to the Jews to give them a record of what was going on with this man named Jesus. And so in context, the weariness and the heavy ladenness are caused by living under law. Living under law results in this weariness and this being heavy laden. And rest that he's inviting them to is rest from trying to achieve perfection that is required in order to be okay with God. You see, the Jews had been given the Mosaic law, and they had taken it, the law which is good and perfect, they had taken it, and instead of seeing it for what its purpose really was to show them, wow, we can't perfect and righteous on our own. We need a Savior, a.k.a. Jesus. Instead of following that plan, what they did is they took the 613 laws and says, you know what? If I try hard enough, then I think I can achieve some of these things, and I can inch my way a little bit closer to being okay with a perfect and holy God. And the result of that trying, the result of that earnest dedication to the law is weariness and being heavy laden. Why so? Well, think of the religious expectations. The religious expectations of the Mosaic Law. There's 613 of them. James says 
If you violate just one of them, then you have violated what? All of them. So the religious expectation to be, to be okay with God by doing the law is you've got to do all 613 perfectly. You talk about some weariness and some heavy ladenness. I don't think that's the word, Jessica, but we're going to go with this. Is that all right? Okay. You're going to, it's, it's heavy. It's heavy. Think of the, the time and the attention given to trying to do each one of them perfectly. And you get to like 90 years old and you're on your deathbed and then you forgot to like keep the Sabbath. You're toast because you violated just one. Think of the social expectations of keeping the law. The social expectations. You talk about some heaviness. Remember what they did to the woman caught in adultery? Did they say, hey, now, dear sister, you know, let's, let's don't do that again? No, they drug her out of bed and put her in the middle of the public square for Jesus to make a decision about. So you've got these people who are like, if they did that to her, what are they going to do to me if I mess up, if I fail to keep a portion of the law? So you have this social expectation that is weary and heavy laden if they mess up in just one part, the judgment from the culture around them. But think about also the personal expectations, the personal condemnation. How can I call myself a God-fearing Jew if I continuously fail to keep this? I continuously fail to keep that. I'm not Sabbathing enough. I'm not sacrificing enough. I'm not Passovering the right way. And so there's this condemnation from within, this pressure of trying to do harder next time, to do better next time, so that you can stand on your own feet, your own foundation of your own righteousness and say, hey, I'm good. You want to talk about weary and heavy laden. That's wearisome. That's heavy. Looking at a list of expectations of which are good and perfect, and saying, "I'm going to do my best to give it the best shot I can," and watching the religious culture, the society behind around you, and even your own personal condemnation just eating at you, wearing at you. I can't tell you how many people I've met who have let religion destroy their lives and they are only by the grace of God and some really good counseling working their way out of some serious weariness and heavy ladenness. Now their context in Matthew is the Mosaic Law. Our context might be something completely different, but yet an equally difficult or even impossible set of expectations. And here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, you who are trying to work yourself to death, but you're getting nowhere, you're physically tired, you're emotionally exhausted, you're spiritually drained from it all, come to me and find what you're really looking for, which is rest, which is peace, comfort, I mean, can you think of a more stark contrast between weary and heavy laden and rest? There is no greater contrast. Thursday night, I think it was Thursday night, I was up past 1 a.m. replumbing my kitchen. Doug laughs because I'm not a plumber. And I was at the end of my rope. I was weary. I was heavy laden. All I wanted to do at 1 a.m. was go to bed, but I knew that we had to have water the next morning. So I couldn't go to bed. I had to get it done. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was frustrated. I was weary. I had this pressure that if I don't get this water on, then nobody's taking baths in the morning before they go to work. And all I wanted to do was to rest. You take that to the spiritual realm. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you who are laboring endlessly, you're laboring endlessly to find significance, you're laboring to discover what joy is really all about, you're laboring to find true, lasting peace, the invitation is, hey, simply come to him 
And he actually will deliver what you're looking for. You know, rest, R-E-S-T, is, is a huge piece of God's creative design. Romans says that that which is created was created to reveal that which is uncreated, which means that we can look at creation, how seeds go into gra- to the ground, they die to spring forth life. We can look at that and we can learn something about God who sent his son, put him in the ground dead to spring forth life, a whole new, a whole new creation, a whole new people group called the church. So we can look at creation and learn about the created. Well, on the scripture says in Genesis, in the creation account, that on the seventh day, God what? Rested. It's a big deal. A whole day of it. He rested. In fact, in the Jewish law, that's Sabbath. You had to rest on the Sabbath. Somebody tell me why on day three, God did not rest. Why was the day of rest not day four, day six? Anybody? Think about it. Say it louder, Katrina. The work was not finished. That's exactly it. I mean, there might be some other good answers too, but that is it. The work wasn't finished until day, end of day six, so day seven, he rested. Listen to this invitation. You who are weary and heavy laden trying to earn your own okayness, you're trying to become okay with the God of the universe, a never-ending cycle of frustration, weariness, and heavy ladenness. You are at your wit's end, trying to finish something. In fact, I hear Jesus saying, you're, you're, you're uh, a bit delusional thinking you can even finish it. But if you come to me, I will give you, as a gift, rest. Now, how can we rest? How can he offer rest to us, and how can we rest in him? The work has to be what? finished. The work of intimacy with the Lord, the work of okayness with God, the work of our own righteousness has to be finished in order for us to rest. And that is the gift that Jesus is offering all who come to him. All who have experienced this weariness and this heavy ladenness by trying to create your own righteousness, you come to me, you turn your back on all that system, you come to me and I'll give you what you're so earnestly desiring, but you couldn't earn it in a million lifetimes. Back then, he's going to start talking about yoke in a second. A yoke, it's, it, it's uh, not like the egg thing, right? Um, that is a yoke, but there's more def- than one definition of yoke. A yoke is this big piece of um, wood that attach two animals together to plow a field. Right, And so back then, the Jews were yoked up to, figuratively speaking, right, the law. They had, they had joined themselves to the law, trying to accomplish the standards of the law in hopes that they'd be okay with God. And what we're going to see in a few minutes is that what Jesus is inviting them to is to release themselves from that yoke, from that bondage to the law and to be yoked, joined to he himself. Jesus has two words for people who live by this mindset of I can become righteous by my own effort. I can become okay with God by my obedience to law. He has two words for those of us who think that we, by our own efforts, can gain a little bit of intimacy with God by our doing. You know what those two words are? Weary and heavy laden. If we want to play that game, that religious game of I can get a little bit closer to God if I do this, I can get a little bit more okay with God if I do that, If we want to play that game, here's Jesus' words for you. Weary and heavy laden. Because let's just be honest, when can you ever do enough? When can you ever do enough if that's the game we want to play? And I don't mean to offend anybody, but, you know, some of us might have gotten in the car this morning, gotten dressed, and went through all the, you know, morning rituals to get here to 
to, to be at church thinking that by even coming to church, we're inching our way a little bit closer to God. Listen, intimacy, intimacy with God does, is not created by logging hours in a building. Intimacy with God comes as a gift. I will give it to you freely. I love how he says, I will give you rest. It's a promise. Now, if you're like me, I know what you're thinking. If, I release my, if I'm released from the law, released from law-based living, how in the world am I going to know how to live? Is Jesus inviting us to turn away from the law and to turn into all sorts of licentious sinning? Because if we release ourselves from the law, we're just going to fall into sinning, right? Because the law is telling us what to do. Well, again, that's what we tend to think. But don't we know what the apostles write about this? The apostles say that the power of sin, the thing that ignites sin in our mortal bodies is the what? Say it loudly. Law. The thing that excites sin is the law. So why would we think that releasing, being released from the law is going to create sin? The apostle Paul is saying living by law is what creates sin. So Jesus, let's hear it from you. Are we going to fall into sin if we no longer are yoked to law, to the Ten Commandments, these things that we think are so wonderful, and they are wonderful for the purpose in which they are used? What apostle says the law is good when used lawfully, something along those lines, when it's used for the intent that it's, that it's intended. Well, here's what Jesus says. He's not inviting us to release ourselves from law so that we can fall into sin. Here's what Jesus says in verse 29. He says, come to me, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. We'll talk about that in a second. And he talks about himself. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. It, if, I, I thought about putting this statement in our Bible notes, and I didn't. I should have. But listen, the gospel of the grace of God does not free us from law-based living over here so that we can plunge into sinful living. That's not the gospel of grace. If that's what you think it is, then you've been, de- you've been deceived. The gospel of the grace of God frees us from law-based living so that we can plunge into Christ. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Too many people think that now we're free from law, so now sin is not a deal anymore. Sin is not a problem. We can do whatever sins we want. And I'm just, I just want to smack them and say, are you kidding me? Don't you know that you have died to sin? Why in the world would you let it reign in your mortal body any longer? We are free from this law, the impossible, wearisome, heavy-laden yoke called performance-based okayness with God, and it's been replaced with another yoke. This other yoke is Christ's yoke. We're now yoked to Christ. We're no longer joined to the law and performance, but now we're joined to Christ and to His performance. Do you see that? Anyone, and I I put it here because I think this is, we've got to see this. Anyone who says, I am in Christ and not in the law, therefore I have a license to sin, does not understand the good news of Jesus Christ. We are free from the law's impossible standards so that we can be joined to Jesus in his perfect performance, having fulfilled the law and the impossible standard the law has. And the result of that is rest for our weary souls. So when we're living under law, all the eyes, all eyes are on us on our performance, on our ability, on our track record, on how well we perform. And now when we escape that lifestyle of law-based living to now we're yoked to Jesus, now all eyes are on who? 
Jesus and his performance and his ability and his track record. And guess what? We're now yoked to him. We're joined to him. There's no rest when we're living by law. Because we're living underneath this standard of I've got to do in order to be. There's no rest. Because again, where, 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 do you, where do you find accomplishment in that? There's always going to be something. But when we come to him and are joined to him, we now have a rest because he has finished the work for us. The rest is only completed. The rest only happens when the work is finished and Jesus has finished it, and now we're okay with God because of the performance of Jesus Christ. That's how we rest. That's how we relax. That's how we have this peace that surpasses all understanding. It's not because we've finally achieved okayness with God on our own. It's because we have now been joined to the one who has, as a free gift, provided for us, given to us freely, this okayness that we long for. So what about sin? What about sin? How do we fight sin without the law? How, how do we know what even sin is? See, we st- some of us still think that we're to use the law to define sin. Well, let's, let's do that for a second. Um, anybody have bacon this morning? Nobody had bacon this morning? Nobody's admitting to having bacon this morning. We're going to have bacon on, in, in uh, March, the first Sunday of March, so everybody's got to raise your hand. Really, nobody had bacon this morning? That's hard to believe. Somebody. Steve, just raise your hand. Just, just raise. All right, Steve had bacon this morning. <laughs> no, I didn't. That's going to go out on the podcast. No, I didn't. <laughs> um, somebody had bacon this week. All right, there we go. All of us had, was it last Sunday? We had bacon with our breakfast last Sunday here. If we look to the law to define sin, then you are a sinner because you ate bacon, because that's one of the laws. So do we look to the law to define sin? If we do, oh my gosh, you're about weary and what? Heavy laden. So how do we do that now? How do we learn what is acceptable and pleasing before the Lord in our daily lives, if we no longer look to this. Do you realize that in Galatians, I'm not making this up. Please read it for yourself. Galatians chapter 4. This blow, I grew up in the church. This blows my church growing up mind. The Apostle Paul says to throw away the law, the Mosaic law. Hebrews says to set the law aside. That blows my mind. Why? How can we do that? We're just going to plunge into sin. No, we're going to plunge into Jesus. And is Jesus ever going to lead us to sin? No way. No way. So look at this. Here's the key right here. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You've been learning your whole life from the laws written on stones and written on letters. You've been learning from letters. Now come to me and you will learn from me. The Greek, this is going to geek, some Greek geek here for a second. All right, bear with me. The preposition from, it's apo in the Greek. It, it means also, it's the idea of of me. In fact, if you have a King James Bible, it, it actually says of me, not from. This is New American Standard. But of me. Learn of me. You see, it's easy for us to take a look at even this with our religious minds and say, okay, I've spent my whole life learning from the law. Now I'm just going to replace that with just learning from Jesus. So all the principles that I was trying to learn from the law about life, I'm going to just now learn those principles from Jesus. And Jesus just simply becomes some sort of teacher about life. Craig's an amazing math teacher, I assume. You know, we'll just give you the benefit of the doubt. I've never had you, right? Um, Craig is an amazing math teacher. But is Craig math? Whoa, now we're getting into philosophy here. No, Craig is not math. He's not the subject. He's a teacher of the subject. Here, here's, here's a really good thing to think on. 
Is Jesus the teacher of life or is Jesus the subject itself life? Do you see the difference? Jesus isn't just some sort of teacher we come to to learn principles about life. Jesus is the giver of life. He is the source of life. He is life itself. And so we don't come to Jesus with our notepad and say, teach me the seven principles about life this morning. He is inviting us to learn of him. And as we learn of him, guess what we're learning? We're learning life. We're learning how to live. We're learning how to move. We're learning how shall we now live in this world, no longer by law. We now live as we learn of him. And that's what the disciples, the apostles are writing throughout the New Testament, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fact that I fellowshiped in his suffering. I died with him so that I now be raised with him. I want to know him, not just facts about him. Facts about him are good, really good if you have like, you know, Bible, uh, uh, what's the um, trivia at your house. That's really good if you have facts about him. But it's more than that. Do you see this? It's more than just facts about Jesus. It's learning him. So, so let's get practical for a second. Let's get practical. Uh, yeah, let's get practical. Let's talk about marriage for a minute, all right? If you're not married, I apologize. Maybe you will be married. Maybe you have been married. But let's just talk about marriage for a second. If you're married, you have a bride, you have a groom, um, and they... Sometimes it's fantastic. Sometimes it's not so fantastic. I mean, it's just bombs, right? Can I get a witness? Is it just me? No? Okay. All right. There we go. All right. Thank you. Woo! All right. Um, so we no longer have the law to run to to say, all right, let me find the list of marriage rules and regulations in order to be with this woman or this man, whatever the case might be. So how do I know how to live with this woman? as my bride, or this man as my groom? Well, we've said it many, many times at Life Journey that marriage is a, human marriage is a shadow, a picture of something so much bigger, something so much grander, something so much greater, and that's our marriage to Jesus Christ. So Jesus instituted marriage back in Genesis, uh, well, chapter 2, I think it was, to, as a shadow of our marriage with him. So here, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but if I want to know how to live in this thing of marriage, then I want to learn of Jesus and his, how he relates, how he ministers, how he loves his bride, the church. So I want to get to know him and how he who he is, his nature, the nature of his union with his bride, so that I can now learn and apply to my marriage. So let's play this game for a second. Let's think. List off for me what are some, what are, what are, what are some I don't know if characteristics is the right word, but describe the nature of Christ's union with his bride, the church blurt a, a, a phrase, a description, a, an adjective. Christ is blank to the church. Maybe that's a good way of saying it. He is, we just sang about it, faithful. He is faithful to the church. Forgiving, I heard, to the, uh, towards the church. He has forgiven us of all our sins. What else? Say again. Loving. Unconditional loving. Right on. What else? Nourishing cherishing. Love that word, cherish. Nourish. What else? Do we know this Christ and his, and his bride? What else? Faithful, committed, selfless. Remember how Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but rather what? To serve. Paul talks about Ephesians, uh, I think it's five, that uh, that Jesus laid his life down for his bride, the church? What are some other words? What about a desire? Does Christ desire the bride? He does. Uh, Hebrews, oh, forgive me. I guess it's 12. Yeah, it's not 11. Hebrews 12 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was part of? 
What made up that joy set before him? It was a bride. You. He desires you. He sacrificed for her, the bride. So we could, we could continue this exercise for a long time, but we're running out of time. So let's think on this. We said he's faithful to the church. He cherishes the church. He, he loves the church unconditionally. He, uh, cher- he cherishes, he, what were some of the other ones we said? Um, he, uh, he sacrificed for the church. He's selfless towards the church. He protects the church. He guards the church. John talks about this in, I think it's 1 John. That the enemy has no ability to destroy the church, the bride of Christ. He can destroy an organization, but he's not going to destroy the bride of Christ. Because the bride, Paul says in Colossians that we are hidden with Christ, and Christ is hidden in God. So tell me, in order to get to you, to destroy who you truly are, the devil's got to get through God, through Jesus, just to get to you. It ain't going to happen. So as we learn of Jesus and his nature, his, 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 of who he is with his bride, we then see the natural overflow of that to our marriages with our brides. So think with me. Would Jesus ever cheat on the church? Why? Because it's against his very, starts with the N, ends with nature. Nature. Good, you're quick this morning. Would Jesus ever leave the church? Why? It's against his nature. You see this? Plus, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, John. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's so cool. Would Jesus ever abuse the church? Take advantage of the church? Manipulate the church? Would he? We're learning of him. This is him. We want to get to know, we want the practical, how do we now live? We get to know him. Would Jesus ever neglect the church? Would Jesus ever hate the church? Would Jesus ever reject the church? Would Jesus ever place himself over the church? We might say, well, he's Jesus. He is Jesus. He is God. He is preeminent over all things, including the bride. But he humbled himself, taking on the form of a very what? Servant to die for the church. So I don't know about you husbands, any husbands out there, but when I look at that, it fills me with his love for me because I am the church. And now when I look at my wife, I now know how to live. I now know how to love. I now know how to cherish her. I now know how to defend her, to protect her, to uphold her, to remain faithful to her, because there is one who has done that to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Do you see that? Do you see that? Now, when we get to know him, we're not lowing These aren't mere principles. It's a person. It's a life. And here is the part where some of you might think I'm crazy. But as Jesus would not neglect the church, all those things I asked, the answer is no, because it's against his nature, who he is. 2 Peter chapter 1. You have become partaker of his divine what? Nature. Your new nature in Christ is faithful. You see that? Your new nature, the nature of your new heart is committed. Your new nature is loving, unconditional. Your new nature is to protect your bride to love your bride, to desire your bride, to cherish her. That is your new nature. So how do we define sin in the new covenant? Well, all of those impulses that that rise up to our minds 
that are in contradiction to the very nature of Christ and our new nature from him, anything that's in contradiction to that is sin. It's not of Christ. If it's not of Christ, it's not of faith. The apostles say that which is not of faith is sin. And so that's how I now know, not by, not by a list of 613 things to say, okay, oh, man, I think we can do this. Oh, no, shoot, it was right there, number 532. That's not how we define sin. We define sin by defining the, the Jesus who saved us and loved us, and anything that is in, not in conformity to his nature is not of Christ. It is of the flesh, and we run from it. We reject it because it's not of us. Sin lives in our mortal members, in our body, but we are no longer joined to it. We're now joined, yoked to Jesus. The last verse here, he says, is verse 30, Drew, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, when we just did this little exercise of getting to know Jesus in this context of man, in his marriage to his bride, did any of us feel wearisome and heavy laden as we were reflecting on his great commitment to us? Now, there might have been a little bit of the accuser coming in, the devil himself saying, hey, you're not those things to your bride, so how can you? Yeah, he can definitely do that, but that's the voice of the accuser. But as we are resting in his great love for us and learning of him is that burdensome or is that light is that is that easy or is that heavy laden this is what jesus is talking about getting to know me getting to know who i am it's easy it's light this is not supposed to be brain surgery i was going to say rocket surgery but i don't know if you'd get that this is not supposed to be brain surgery. We're not supposed to have 17 PhDs in religion in order to know how to live. We get to know Jesus. You realize the Galatians, they couldn't even read. They were Phrygian slaves. They didn't even know how to read. Somebody had to read the letter to them that Paul wrote them. This is not brain surgery. It's getting to know someone who loves you with every ounce of his being. Real quickly, because we're almost out of time, I want us to take a look at how Paul, the apostle, so we're leaving the words of Jesus, and we're going to look at how Paul, the apostle, uses this very exact, what we just did, exercise, to help the Ephesians understand what is of Christ and what is not of Christ. This is Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to go through this very, very quickly, Drew, uh, starting, I think, in verse, what is it, 17? I think, yeah. So I'm not going to go into all the context. Please take the time, read the whole book of Ephesians for yourself. I encourage you. Paul says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. Talking about the unbelievers. They walk, they're walking around in the futility of their mind. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They've chosen their own self over God. They're ignorant to the life that God has for them because of the hardness of their heart. They refuse to believe. And they, now listen to the characteristics of the, these, these people that are not in Christ. Having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality. What's sensuality? Think of all sorts of sexual uh, uh, activity outside of the, the bonds of marriage for the practice of every kind of impurity. Now, you know, um, for our own sake, we should not just, you know, list off all every kind of impurity like we just listed off, you know, the uh, characteristics of Jesus. That would be a little weird. But, but you get the idea. Every kind of impurity. Think of spring break times a lot with sprinkled in some greediness. This is the characteristics. Is this of Christ? If sensuality, sexual uh, activity, impurity, and greediness, is this of Christ? We don't, have to, we don't have to guess. Very next verse, here's what I want to point out. But you did not learn Christ in this way. In other words, you did not learn that from Jesus. You did not learn sexual deviance, devi, whatever, from Christ. You didn't learn it from him. 
What did you learn from Christ? What, and he goes, if indeed you have heard of him and been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. So assuming that you have been taught of Jesus and who this Jesus is and how much he loves you, how much he's faithful to you, how much he's committed to you, here's what you did learn from Jesus, verse 22. You learned that in reference to your former way of life, former manner of life, which was just like the Gentiles, sensuality, sexuality, et cetera, et cetera, you lay aside. This is what you learned from Jesus. You lay aside the old self. Why do you lay aside the old self? Because the old self is dead. You crucified. The old self was crucified with Christ. You lay him aside, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and you renew your mind. Let your mind be renewed, the spirit of your mind being renewed to who this Jesus is and this great love he has for you. And put on, verse 24, the new self. This is who you really are, the new self. And he defines who you really are now because of your new birth in Christ, which is in the likeness of God, the very same nature. Your new man, the likeness of God, which has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Your new nature, righteous and holy, that's who you are. So when all this other garbage seeks to come out, pride, uh, 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 anger, uh, hate, vitriolic, all this stuff starts to come to the surface because it still lives in your members, sin itself, you know that you did not learn that from Christ. Here's what you learned from Christ. You are a righteous, holy, new creation. Put that on. Put that, remember that. Remember who you are. And as your mind is renewed, the old man who has died is no longer being referenced because now the new man has come and you are new in Christ. Here's our journey marker this morning. If you're new with us, journey marker, what does this boil down to? Like, how can we walk out of here and kind of have our mind a little bit wrapped around a simple little statement? This one's a little bit long. I apologize. I tried to get it all in here. <clears throat> so remember our question. If we don't have the law, how do we know how to live? As we get to know Jesus, not just principles, but a person, as we get to know him, as we get to know Jesus, we shall know how to live by Jesus. We live from him, and that produces a rest, a deep soul satisfaction that religion can only dream of. So who of us this morning are weary and heavy laden, trying our hardest to inch our way a little bit more into God's good graces, and then we look at our track record and we fall incredibly short. Who of us are looking to our performance of keeping the law and the result is weary and heavy laden? We've all been there at one point in our life or another. But I'm confident many of us are even today. Here's the invitation from the Lord. Come to me. Come to me. Learn of me, and I will show you. Not I will just simply give you some principles, but I will actually show you life because I am life. I am righteousness, holiness, etc. And guess what, Jack? Guess what, Jill? If you believe in me, You've been now born of that very same nature, and that's who you now are. So you can now resist the temptations of the flesh because you now know what is good and honorable and noble. Think on these things, the apostle says, because it's Christ. So maybe there's someone here this morning who has never decided to follow Jesus to receive this invitation of Christ. Maybe you thought Christianity was just flipping through the Bible, finding the rules, and trying your best to just live up to them. 81% of Christianity, according to Barna Research, says that's what Christianity is. 
Find the rules, do your best to live up to them. Listen, fellas, fellas, that is not the gospel. That's not the good news. The good news is that you died with Christ, you were buried with him, and you've been raised a new creation. That's good news. And you are now in intimacy with him. Well, aren't I more intimate when I read my Bible more, when I memorize Scripture more? Look, read your Bible all you want. It's good stuff. Memorize as much of the Bible as you want. It's awesome. But the Bible is a big flashing, pointing arrow to a person named Jesus. And you can read the Bible cover to cover and miss Jesus. Ask the Pharisees. Ask the Pharisees. So maybe you need to receive this Jesus. You say, how do I receive him? You believe. You believe. To as many as received him, to them he gave the rights to be called the sons of God. You receive him. You believe him. You say, ah, I can't do it. I've tried and tried, and weary and heavy laden only touches the surface of what I've produced. I need rest. I need Jesus. So I encourage you, now is the time to enter into his rest. Maybe you've been a believer for a long, long time, but you find yourself going back and forth, back and forth to this system of thinking that by doing you now are. Resist that, resist it, resist it, because it is a trap. You are righteous by birth not by performance. And maybe you're a believer who's confused on the sin issue. Well, if I'm holy and I'm righteous, then I guess everything I do is cool and copacetic. No, there is sin that lives in your mortal members. And its desire, God says to to, uh, Cain in Genesis, its desire is against you. Paul says in Romans 6 that your body is an instrument. Sin can play you like an instrument. Like these guys excellently play the guitars. Sin can play you like a fool if you let them. But also God will play you as we learn of him. You see that? At this time, I want to open up the floor for any discussion, any questions, any encouragement, any um, But what about, hey, did you think of this? Can it really be that simple? I don't know. Whatever the Lord may lay on your heart, maybe there's nothing. Maybe, um, but if you have, check, check. But if you have a question, a word of encouragement, a thought, um, I invite you to to share. You don't have to, but um, we really have gotten some great value out of this time, Bill. Thanks, bud. It's always good to have somebody go first. Well, the last few years, my wife and I have tried to synchronize our uh, our pursuit of the Lord uh, through the year and uh, sometimes study, reading, uh, other things that we've done together. Uh, this year, um, I was uh, uh, reading in Matthew, and when Jesus goes up on Mount Hermon with his uh, Peter, James, and John, and uh, during that period of time when Peter interrupts the, the fellowship going on and uh, th- there's this bright cloud that overshadows them and uh, the voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And so that's our, this year we're just reading the gospels over and over to hear what Jesus has to say. But uh, uh, this week I completed uh, the book of John and three times John makes this uh, this reference, uh, the one whom Jesus loved. And uh, for me, uh, I've been a religious guy, uh, was a religious guy for most of my life. I grew up in a, in a Baptist home, no disrespect if you're a Baptist, but, uh, uh, you know, the uh, college, the university I went to, every, uh, it was a religious university, and Every Monday morning, we had to fill out an activity report and uh, about our previous week's activities, how many people we led to Christ, how many chapters in the Bible we read, on and on. And, uh, but uh, the, the thing that was missing in my life was I didn't believe that he loved me. 
it, it's really amazing if you really you come to that place where I believe Jesus. I used to think when I would read when John said that the one Jesus loved, they're like, well, what the hell? You know, <laughs> can I say that? I'm sorry. I shouldn't be cursing in church. But, uh, but you know, that's, I, I thought, good grief, that's egotistical. But when I made it personal, I just believe he loves me. And uh, it, it's been a life-changing experience for me. That, this took place about eight years ago. Now, Bill still got his issues. Um, as, as you get to know me, you'll say, you really, does he really love you? But I, I, when I lean into that, that he loves me. And so this year I want to hear uh, what he's got to say. Awesome, Bill. Fantastic. Awesome. Any, anybody else? Yeah, Dudley, if you wouldn't mind, go right back there to Dudley. Thanks, Bill. Uh, oops. The, um, <clears throat> Jesus is, is an example to the world, and, and so often you hear in the secular world, uh, Jesus raised up to us as, as a standard of love as a standard of kindness, as a standard of what is good. Um, you know, the, even the fallen seem to understand that and recognize that. The church makes the same mistake when they take Jesus and turn him into a standard, a new law, something to be lived up to. Um, we externalize Christ. We, we, put him, we put him on a pedestal and say, I'm going to climb up to him. The, the, the Christian life is something totally foreign to, to anything that, that, that the world has to offer. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory is all that God is, his character, his purpose, his, his ultimate goal, his, his, um, his achievement. If we allow God to live in us, and if we receive from him, he is willing to express his character through us every single moment of our lives. The flesh doesn't get that, and it goes its own way. And, and we, don't, we don't express that perfectly in this world. But so often it's not, it, it's putting on the yoke. It's just sitting there and allowing Jesus to lead. Uh, the, the <clears throat> you, take a, you take an old horse and you hook him up with a young horse, Young horse doesn't know where he's going or what he's doing. The, the, the old horse leads, and the young horse learns. Jesus is gentle in that process, but he's also unseen. So much of what the character of God is being developed in is we don't see the process, and we want to control that process. Anyway, Jesus gives us life. We live. It's just simple as that. Amen. Anybody else have a word or a question or a thought or a, but what about? Seek not to belabor. All right. It makes sense. Does this make any sense? Hopefully. Just shake your head however you need to to get out of here, right? <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's stand and be closed with a word of prayer real quickly. If um, we do, uh, 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 is, it, is it, it's not Anna. Who is it that's having the surgery on Wednesday? Vanita. Vanita's having surgery on Wednesday on her shoulder, um, so keep her in prayer uh, Wednesday. Um, we, with great sadness, announced that uh, Bill and Belinda will be moving to North Carolina um, in the coming months. It's very, very sad for us. Exciting for them, but, um, you know, I, it is sad f for, 
personally and then for us as our fellowship. Uh, we're so blessed by them. Um, but a great opportunity awaits them in North Carolina, and we're really excited for that. But um, let's pray for Bill and Belinda and this transition that they have coming up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you love us. We thank you, as Dudley so beautifully put, we have now life because we have you. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I mean, it's one and the same. And I just pray like Bill said that we would really this year, this day, this minute, allow you to love us. Let you love us. Because if we don't do that, if, if, then all the rest of it is just religious garbage. It's just religious activity of the flesh. If we don't allow you at our deepest level to actually reveal your love towards us individually. So please, Father, open our eyes that we may see the great glory of Christ in us and the magnificence of his love towards us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.